0: I am uh, Nicholas Bornos of Capital Inc., and I'm delighted uh, to uh, welcome Mr. Scott Cronert, uh, who is the Managing Director, U.S. Equity Strategist, and Global Head of ETF Research at Citi. Uh, Scott is going to give us the traditional opening presentation for our forum, uh, and it's a presentation that sends the landscape for the discussions that will. Uh, that will follow, the background, rather, for the discussions that will follow, and his title of, uh, is U.S. Equity Market Update and Current Geopolitical Landscape. So, Scott, thank you for being with us, and the floor is yours. Nicholas, thank you so much, and it's great to be here, everyone. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, so by way of introduction, Scott Kronert, I head up U.S. Equity Strategy here at City, and we'll have the next 20 minutes just to run through uh, some views regarding uh, the economic and U.S. equity market landscape for you. Um, I'm going to go over to a, a, a screen share real quick and, and reference some slides, so you won't see as much as me, but hopefully you'll hear me and, and we'll be able to to go through these <clears throat> the slide presentation. There's a lot here, more than can really be covered in 20 minutes, <clears throat> so I'll attempt to highlight it. Give me just one second. Uh, okay. Um, Hopefully, you can all see this. Uh, Basically, what I would start out with in terms of our view towards the U.S. equity markets is that we've had a fairly constructive uh, view heading into 2022. Um, The perspective was pretty straightforward. We know we're coming off of a really strong uh, 2021 from both an economic recovery and earnings growth perspective on the heels of uh, the uh, 20 recession that was COVID-related as Global economies were, were, uh, were essentially uh, effectively closed for a short period of time. We've been living with the aftermath of that ever since. And it, it would appear that we're going to be continuing to do so, even before we got to the recent geopolitical circumstance. So essentially, the way we're um, setting up the narrative for the US equity markets is really twofold. First, is from a valuation perspective, we've we've been anticipating and expecting a shift in Fed policy this year to a more hawkish stance. Now, the degree of hawkishness um, is, is increasing uh, almost weekly or daily, if you will. Uh, the city view is now in expectation for uh, at least 200 basis points of Fed tightening this year uh, and potentially as much as 300. The timing of this um, is, is, gonna, is sort of evolving, if you will. Our view is that this keeps a valuation uh, lid on the US equity markets essentially a multiple headwind, if you will, um, as rising rates are discounted into future growth projections. And in turn, what this does is turn the focus more specifically on earnings growth trends as the uh, near-term driver uh, for equities this year. To put context around this, for the S&P 500, we're carrying a uh, 4,700 target as of now. This is is predicated on earnings growth estimate for the S&P of roughly $226. Um, When we revised up this number a couple of weeks ago, um, it was at that point below bottom-up consensus earnings. Even in recent weeks, we continue to see the consensus earnings outlook for the U.S. equity markets continue to work higher. So again, high-level takeaway here, um, valuation headwinds to persist. Within that, we think earnings growth becomes um, the important driver What's so fascinating about the uh, post-pandemic timeframe heretofore is that not only do we exit 2021 with very strong earnings growth, greater than 40% for the S&P 500, we also saw record margins for many areas of the uh, S&P um, from an EBIT margin perspective. So the point I would make here is that um, as we've gone through the first year of rising inflation, The read through to corporate earnings has actually been fairly constructive as as companies sort of across the landscape have been in position to capitalize on full pricing, if you will, um, as a means of offsetting some of the supply chain constraints. In the meantime, we're encouraged that backlog builds will um, gradually set up for more visibility of, um, of, of earnings growth in the, probably in the intermediate term. We still think that we have to be wary of earnings growth trends as we move into uh, the second half of this year and 2023, and we're watching an inflection in earnings growth as a key harbinger of um, economic and market direction as we move later into the year. But for now, we're still looking at what we're going to call a moderately constructive perspective. The valuation discussion comes in frequently, and here we think we're essentially identifying as I alluded to earlier, a bit more of a mixed picture. The current multiple for the S&P is right around 2021 20, times, uh, which isn't too far off where we think it should end the year. We often get the question of how does this look versus historic standards, and we make the point that while it does look high versus history, it's come in three or four multiple turns since the beginning of the year, and we think reflects a evolving constitution of the heavier weighted companies within the S&P itself. A couple of interesting angles here just to highlight real quickly. We we do what we call earnings yield gap analysis which is essentially looking at the earnings yield which is the inverse of PE on the S&P versus 10 year treasuries um, and uh, futures um, uh, comparisons on that. The key point I would make here is that this data Um, uh, is still mostly constructive uh, for U.S. equities, and what it does is paint an allocation picture that suggests you want to keep focused on on equities vis-a-vis fixed income allocations. Uh, Now, the question regarding interest rates comes up uh, quite frequently these days, and for good reason. Here we make the point that you have to be wary on which rate and what time frame you're focused on. Uh, so yes, nominal nominal rates and yields certainly influence action, but we think that increasingly real rates, which I'm capturing here on this lower left chart, and uh, over the past five years, tell a really important story. Um, this is um, sort of the time frame when we've seen y- real yields in more of a negative perspective, and this is uncommon versus history. And the long, long uh, a story told shortly in this lower left chart is the is that the pullback we had in January, in our view, corrected for the increase in real rates that started the year, and is now um, reset valuations to where. We actually think they should be on what our year end real rate forecast is going to be. And there were a city house views for roughly minus 0.25%. So again, this reinforces our view that um, that the the real rate concern of January has been mostly priced in. And again, that flips the discussion more uh, towards uh, the earnings growth picture. Now, what I would point out here, though, and this is important, is Uh, while real rates remain negative, we think that at the margin, that also reinforces um, an allocation bias in favor of equities over fixed income. Now, we're certainly aware that this will unfold over time. And i make the point that if and when we were to get to a uh, positive real rate circumstance, that's where we begin to get a little bit more concerned about the economic uh, growth read-throughs in terms of messaging from the fixed income markets. Now, I mentioned earnings as a key driver here, and this is near and dear to my heart, has been for for the many years that I've been following the U.S. markets. This upper left chart to me really becomes the signpost by which I try to navigate the U.S. markets, and it simply is a way of pointing out that over longer time frames, this chart goes back to 2003, but we can take it back to 1980 and the same would hold true, and that is that S&P 500 earnings with a lag effect are very, very highly correlated to actual index performance over longer time frames. This correlation, 0.94 R squared, is you know, awfully, awfully high versus other data series that we look at. And so the point we make here that is that over longer time frames, as go earnings, so goes the US market. The trick then becomes navigating around more serious periods of what I like to call growth scares which really line up with with recessionary conditions, such as we saw on the heels of the uh, tech bubble, uh, as we then saw going into the global financial crisis um, 12, 14 years ago. Now, the multiple, as I mentioned, for the S&P 500 on this upper right chart uh, has been Fairly resilient, and we think it's moved to a higher um, for longer level uh, as a function of the constitution of the S and P 500, where you've got a high um, concentration of market caps among a fewer number of these mega cap tech and growth stocks that tend to carry higher valuation circumstances that in turn have have read through to the the broader market um, uh, application. So. Here, while the average um, PE over longer time frames is closer to 16 and a half times we kind of view the period since 1990 and perhaps even since uh, the uh, the tech bubble in 2013 is more telling. And here we make the point that valuations are we think are any reasonable um, level for what we know about earnings growth and the construction of the S&P 500 now. As we get closer to the uh, the focus of the conference over the next two days, I wanna make just a couple of observations on the earnings growth trends from here. I wanna focus you first on uh, the lower left chart, which basically sets up for the way we see earnings growth unfolding year over year as we go through 22. Very simply, we know we're coming off of very strong compares from 2021. And so we're looking for mid-single-digit earnings growth, the first two quarters of this year, increasing to high um, single-digit, call it 8% or so, 8 to 9% in the second half. And essentially what all of this should marry through to is roughly an 8% earnings growth for the full year. It is interesting, and this is really critical to our generally constructive view on the U.S. markets, and that view is that. Um, even with the Fed action ahead, we expect that the market will still be in a positive GDP growth circumstance through 2023. Clearly, the recession risks have begun to increase as we expect increasing Fed hawkishness on the heels of recent geopolitics. But the point we'd make here is that as of right now, the earnings growth setup for the market is fascinating in that, yes, we get tougher compares against last year's very strong growth, which you see in this uh, lower right chart. But interestingly, the current bottom-up setup for 2023 is also a constructive one with earnings growth expectations actually setting up to mean revert a little bit higher as we go into next year. So again, this becomes our main pivot point in how we think about the US equity market and how we translate back into how we think about sectors and then stocks beyond that. I, I want to just comment on the sector contribution to earnings growth real quickly, and then I'm going to try to pull it back um, to more real-time um, uh, uh, elements that may come into your discussions over the next couple of days. This chart on the left gives a breakdown of our earnings growth by sector, and here I want to point out the high degree of variability among sectors. So for example, if you, I know it's a tough chart to read, but the point I would make here is that in certain sectors, consumer discretionary, energy for sure, and even the industrial um, cohort, we're looking at expectations for very strong earnings growth during 2022, with actually some pretty decent room for fall through and in, in, uh, going out into 2023. On the flip side, an important sector like financials is actually modeled to show down earnings this year, and that's a function of its compares last year as the banks were uh, um, releasing reserves that they had put on during 2020. Point is here is that the sector composition to uh, the index level growth profile is really interesting and important as we go forward from here. And I wanted to just highlight the point that in areas such as energy and industrials, which I'm going to you know presume tie most closely to the topic of discussion for you all in the next couple of days, are actually pretty robust as we uh, as we look forward into the balance of this year. Um, And I wanted to also just make a real quick comment. A lot of uh, discussion comes up on what about growth versus value? And here our key message would be that um, if you look at the S&P 500 value index, it's actually positioned to continue with this post COVID recovery theme and show um, stronger earnings growth this year than the S&P 500 growth index will. Again, that reverses next year. And that's why um, uh, part of the reasons why we favored value as a style positioning headed into 2022. We continue to to argue that's the case. We do expect though to transition away from value as the year unfolds, Um, whether it's back to growth, a little bit unclear at this point, Uh, that's certainly in the discussion, but we've been using a quality framework for assessing individual company opportunities where you uh, marry, if you will, um, uh, stronger um, consistency of earnings growth with profitability and, and debt metrics that we think um, provides some element of pricing power in a high inflation world at the same time uh, that uh, you're, you're looking at strong balance sheet metrics to marry it. Now, um, I want to just, in the interest of time, keep moving pretty here pretty quickly. Um, the topic of discussion uh, on, uh, uh, on inflation comes up and here, our point is that, if I get to the charts real quickly, um, is that the uh, inflation outlook for, from our perspective is certainly an issue that we wanna be wary of. It, it does, however, uh, support earnings in the near term, as again, companies that are supply chain um, constricted have been able to deliver merchandise closer to full price. Um, and so we're keeping a very close eye on end pricing inflation, and we absolutely think that this year we shall probably see wage inflation pick up uh, to catch up with where prices are, and rising wages are, are in, in our view, a necessary condition of, of gradually, gradually improving uh, supply chain issues. This upper right chart in the twos to tens year break even is fascinating, and this is an important element to keep an eye on, and that is very simply that for the post-GFC timeframe, We've been living in a world of Fed accommodation where the point is that the Fed has been trying to engineer inflation in a way where two year inflation metrics have always been below that of 10 year. That shifted a year ago um, as the Fed began to um, uh, respond to or begin to respond to the pickup inflation that we saw literally a year ago at this time. And over the past year, we're now seeing shorter term inflation metrics um, resonate higher than longer term. And we think this is what's stoking the, uh, the, uh, the fed, the fed narrative at this point that they have to, at some point switch gears from having to provoke inflation over the past decade to now trying to rein it in a little bit, um, getting to sectors real quick. I want to just make a quick, um, point here in, in my remaining three minutes that in terms of our key recommendations, Um, We have been overweight from an industry group perspective, um, uh, many um, industry groups, including capital goods, and this plays into our broader um, sector profile where we are overweight consumer discretionary, financials, healthcare, industrials, and materials, and we've been underweight the tech complex along with communication services and staples um, since last November, um, which has kind of uh, been directionally accurate. Um, Energy, we've remained market weight on, along with real estate and utilities. Here, I'd make the point that from an overweighting perspective, we've tried to lead with economic sensitive um, opportunities um, within the financials, industrials, and more recently, material segment. Um, Consumer discretion has been a little bit more of a contrarian call. So it turns out um, this has been sort of the outlet, if you will, for concern over rising energy prices. And that sector has been under the most pressure so far this year. But we think there are a lot of interesting stock-specific opportunities embedded within it. And we now look at it as a potential beneficiary of a peaking oil prices, where our um, our uh, commodity strategy group is looking for oil prices to retrench down into the uh, mid-60s as the year unfolds. Um, healthcare is a step in the direction of getting a more defensive exposure in response to the expected Fed narrative of, of increasing hawkishness in the months to come, and again, as I mentioned, from a waiting perspective, tech has been our key um, offset to this, and we'll, we'll kind of look to rectify that as the uh, as the years uh, as the months unfold. Now, in terms of the industry groups, I'm probably in the interest of time not going to be able to get there, but within the industrials complex, our focus has been on the capital goods. Um, component. We've been less constructive on transports. Uh, Both of these are driven by our views on our proprietary models on industry group valuations and lead indicators as they provoke um, a sort of a growth context for those those areas. And and so what I would just kind of leave you with is, you know, we're looking at the U.S. equity markets in generally a glass half full lens as we go through this year. Again, earnings growth becomes our key metric as we believe valuations have um, mostly responded to the expected Fed activity. Um, We don't um, dismiss the, you know, obviously circumstances geopolitically. Here we think that implies somewhat of a valuation headwind more broadly for the US markets. In addition to Fed hawkishness, earnings growth becomes the key offset and variable that we focus on as the anecdote to valuation concerns and becomes the linchpin of our focus as we navigate through the balance of uh, this year. And with that, I think I've hit my 20 minutes and uh, thank you all for your um, participation and for listening to this presentation. And uh, always I'm happy to, to field any questions offline as they may be relevant. Nicholas, back to you. Well, thank you very much. As I uh, as expected, it has been a great insight, a wonderful presentation. Uh, covering very interesting topics. So Scott, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, being with us. My pleasure. Have a good day and rest the conference all.